Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Histories of the Unexpected, the show in which we demonstrate that everything, simply everything you can possibly think of, has its own history, like resignations, kangaroo courts, kangaroos, I suspect, and liars. No, it was kangaroo courts. It was definitely (laughs) kangaroo courts, because we are living in such extraordinary times, young Willis. This, of course, refers in the United Kingdom to the recent resignation of a former prime minister, who uh, was basically booted out of Parliament. So extraordinary as a historian to watch this all unfolding before our very eyes. What do you think of that? What can we do with that? We should definitely do kangaroos. Definitely do kangaroos, yeah. And liars. Oh, we might have done liars before. Is this, have we done is liars? A homeschooling one? If not, well, let's do that next. Sounds Resignations great. is quite quite a good one as well. Resignation <laughs> speeches, I think, would be Ooh. superb. However, for the moment, we will be following the links in our minds as we come across them, explaining how those histories link together in unexpected ways. Who knew, for example, who knew that the history of apologies is in fact all about British politeness and bumping into people as an experiment? It's about public apologies and historical reconciliation for slavery, the Holocaust and atrocities in World War Two. It's also all about letters of apology, politeness in Tudor England and drunkenness and Edgar Allan Poe. Who knew, Mm. Sam Willis? Or who knew that the history of spots, the history of spots, is in fact all about female beauty and false advertising in the 19th century in the United States of America and the strangely titled arsenic wafers, which, wait for it, advertised that it was entirely safe and ensured a blemish-free complexion. It's also all about the diary of Adrian Mole, aged 13 and three quarters, the history of acne, teenagers and dermatology. Who knew? Mm, fascinating stuff. All these wonderful things you can go back to into our back catalogue and listen to, everyone. Let me introduce you to my fellow presenter. I will say that if history were a sunset, this man would be the calm pink in the sky as the great sun of time sinks below the horizon of the present. He is Professor Extraordinaire of Early Modern British History at Plymouth University. It's James Daybell. Hello, James. <laughs> Hello. And you may well be wondering, who is that unattributed voice so ably helping Daybell co-pilot this very episode? Well, let's just say that 
that if he were a pink-related historian, he'd only be a member of the French court at Versailles, dressed from head to toe in pink finery, simply as a mark of his elite status, his unrivalled aesthetic taste, opulence and cosmopolitan ways. He ain't afraid of the bold pink fashion statement. No siree, Bob, he's the real deal. Yes, you've guessed it. It's the famous historical adventurer, Dr Sam Willis. Hello, everyone. Um, I'm, I'm pleased to be doing the history of pink today. Um, you'll all be here, pleased to hear that I've just recently bought a pink suit, actually. I went to buy myself a summer suit, and um, as I was looking at the options, I was going to go for a light blue, but then I thought, well, if you're going for a light blue, you might as well go for a light pink. So I bought a pink suit, and it's fantastic. And I was um, sitting outside a pub in Portsmouth, one of the beautiful spots in old Portsmouth overlooking where all the ships come in and there used to be a chain blocking access so you could defend it from the French attacks. And uh, I was minding... I had a pint of cider, James. I was minding my own business in my pink suit and a lovely lady came up to me and she said how great I was looking in my pink suit. So I was very pleased with that. I must admit, I'm extraordinarily impressed. One of my questions was... uh, do you wear pink? Because I love pink and I'm sporting a pink shirt today. Not because we're recording a podcast in pink or on the topic of pink, but because I genuinely wear pink quite a lot. Probably about 50% of the time. I have pink shorts, pink socks, <laughs> uh, lot. lots of pink T-shirts. I love pink. It's my yeah. it's my go-to shirt colour. I think, I think, unfortunately, that it's it, it's quite preppy. To wear pink nowadays. I think it's one of those things in the sort of like middle class uh, sort of men's shops that dot the mm. high street. Uh, it's it's quite the it's quite restra- I think it's quite it's quite restrained. Now mm. I don't think it's quite the daring. I think your your pink suit is out there and quite daring. Yeah. I think it is definitely. It, it's uh, it depends on the color the type of pink, which is interesting. Um, but uh, yeah, where do we go with this, James? Well, I, I was thinking of pink clothes essentially, um, uh, to begin with. And I, um, then I was thinking about pink cars, um, Elvis's pink Cadillac. That's, that's got a really fascinating history about why he chose it and when and um, who was making pink cars. Essentially, no one was making pink cars. Um, I think Ford were the only people who had one off the shelf that was pink. Thunderbirds. El- Elvis had to, had to um, kind of uh, have his own car painted pink. But you mentioned the Court of Versailles. Do you know a few things about that, James? I know a little bit about the Court of Versailles, yes. Oh, do you know about clothes in the Court of Versailles? Yeah, a little bit about clothes in the Court of Versailles, <laughs> yes. But Lady Penelope in the Thunderbirds, of course, had a pink Rolls Royce or something. Do I remember that correctly? Mm. Maybe. I mean, for me... Yeah, I, I reckon that was inspired by Elvis's car. I bet it was. I bet it was. Yeah. For me, I started, as always, I started with the with a conversation with my 11-year-old daughter, who is a real history buff, and I said, I'm going to be doing a podcast on the history of pink. And she said, oh, you realise that pink was, in fact, started off as a, as a boy's colour, and then it changed in the sort of 1980s to be a, mm. a girl's colour. I thought, how on earth are you so knowledgeable about the history of the colour pink? Mm-hmm. Uh, she then called me a charlatan, and um, which I, how on earth does she know what a, a charlatan is? Let alone whether it, it relates to me or not. Uh, but it got me thinking, and actually, for me, I started off thinking about pink and clothes and taste at the court of Versailles. It shifts from being very much a male colour, a colour associated with, as I said in your introduction, associated with wealth, with grandeur, 
those kinds of dyes would be expensively imported. And it isn't actually until you get much later into the 20th century that pink starts being associated with women. So much so that, in fact, there was a survey done by Time magazine in, I think, 1927, where they surveyed several US department stores on what they thought were gender appropriate colours. And get this, nearly 60% ascribed pink to boys during this period. So pink colours. Uh, and in fact, the colour of clothing for babies was associated with different things, more associated with hair colour or eye colour. So if you had blue eyes, irrespective of whether you were a boy child or a girl child, you should be swaddled in blue. And it's not until the 1980s that, in fact, baby clothes start being gendered according to pink and blue. And it is thought that that is, in fact, related to ultrasound. And so, basically, before... Yeah, I know! Who'd have thought it? Ultrasound. So you could detect the sex of your baby and therefore go out and consume and stockpile endless little clothes for... Katie or little Johnny or whoever it was, <laughs> according to mm. various tastes. But I, yeah. I, the, the colour pink, actually, it was, is actually quite violent, I find. There's quite a sadistic story behind the colour pink, and I'm going to be talking about that in two very different ways. I left Versailles mm. alone. I thought, you know, too obvious Versailles, Madame Pompadour and her pink puffery. I'm going to go with the history of the jewel and the history of the persecution of homosexuals in Nazi Germany, Sam Willis. Nice. Let me. I'm going to just mention something about Madame Pompadour, as you mentioned Ooh, her. Excellent. Uh, have you seen Have you seen the trailer for the Jean de Barry film with mm. um, uh, Johnny Depp? Johnny Depp. Looking yeah, forward so to it. I haven't seen the, it, but I'd love to see it. The trailer's great. So it's all to do with um, the king. Um, this is Louis Fifteenth and his various mistresses, one of which was known as Jean de Barry. She's interesting because she comes along after someone who's been a mistress for ages, and that is a Madame Pompadour, whose real name was Jean-Antoinette Poisson. So she was Jean-Antoinette Fish, which I didn't know. Superb. Um, now, um, Madame Pompadour, she actually uh, gets very... She has, plays a really interesting role in popularising porcelain in um, in France. So if you think of um, Versailles, well, I, I, I think of Versailles in like hideous gilt mirrors and just tonnes and tonnes of porcelain. Um, and that, that's actually quite interesting when it's so right. So porcelain is invented in France, in, invented in China 2,000 years ago, and it's not till the 18th century that it becomes popular in Europe, starts off being popular in uh, Germany, and then it spreads to France in the 1730s. Along comes Madame Pompadour, and she's doing her best to impress the king. She is interested in pink. In fact, when she meets the king for the first time, she kind of plonks herself in front of him while the king's out hunting. And she does it twice. The first time she does it wearing a blue dress in a pink carriage. And then she swaps it round and she's wearing a pink dress in a blue carriage. Anyway, it impresses the king so much that they go on and have a, a long-standing relationship. Um, it stops being a sexual relationship after a while, which is why the king becomes interested in Jean de Barry. Um, Anyway, the uh, Madame Pompadour is uh, plays this huge role in getting porcelain, so very fine, delicate china, uh, famous in France. So much so that a company called Sèvres Porcelain design a type of porcelain particularly for Madame Pompadour and after her, and it's bright pink. It's her favourite colour, and it's known as Rose Pompadour. So uh, if you want to see some serious pink, and I'm talking 
bubblegum pink. <laughs> I'm talking, I mean, like, unbelievable. Like, whoa, it's horrible. Um, it's, uh, I think it's one of the most unpleasant pinks I've ever seen. It's seriously pink. Um, uh, have a look at uh, Rose Pompadour porcelain made by Sèvres Porcelain in France in the mid 18th century. So there we are, some links, and also go and see the film, the uh, the uh, the film about uh, about Louis the Fifteenth's mistress and Johnny Depp. So for me, Pink is all about the history of porcelain manufacture and how to snare a French king in the mid 18th century. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Oh, superb. I'm going to take us in a completely different direction, and I'm going to take us to the 18th century jewel. And I'm going to give you... A little foray, a little insight into the way that the Daybell historical mind works in terms of connections between subjects. When I was thinking about the history of pink, not only did I have a word with my 11-year-old daughter, who, having grown up on horrible histories, knows so much about history, almost encyclopedic, um, I then reached for a reference tome, as always, uh, Kelly Grover's um, The Art of Colour, the History of Art in 39 Pigments. And there was an accompanying article uh, called The Shady Past of the Colour Pink. And this got me thinking not only about the aesthetic development of the colour pink in terms of art, and it's fascinating for that, but also the meaning of pink. And one of the things that she points out in the article that I read is that it was associated with the London underworld in the 18th century. And this got me squirrelling around for a collection of canting words and terms, both ancient and modern, used by beggars, gypsies, cheats, housebreakers, shoplifters, footpads, highwaymen, etc. This is an 18th century publication and it is reprinted several times and I looked at the entry pinked and pinked would you believe means pricked with a sword in a recounter or duel in other words he pinked his doublet he ran him through in other words what we have is at a time of duels where men challenged each other to a combat They used swords and the lunging of the sword into somebody would leave a large hole in somebody and this would bleed out 
and that would be called pinking or pinking somebody. Now, this got me then going on to sort of think, right, I need uh, a historical example of this. I need to know something about the history of the duel. And do you remember when we were at Chalk Valley History Festival with our wonderful friends, the Foreign Field Living History Group? So Kyle, yeah. Paul and Rory, they got us to perform a duel with them. I think we were both seconds. Um this sort of got me thinking about the, the history of the jewel, and I reached, as one always does, for Bob Shoemaker's excellent 2002 article, The Taming of the Jewel, Masculinity, Honour and Ritual Violence in London, 1660 to 1800, in Historical Journal. It's a brilliant piece, uh, which I'm going to butcher uh, for certain bits of information. <laughs> if you want to read it in its entirety, it is open access. If you just put in... R.B. Shoemaker, The Taming of the Jewel, into any search engine, you can pull up an e-print that is open access. Now, one of the interesting things here is that he talks about the change in violence during the period 1660 to 1800. And effectively, what you have is a decline in the number of jewels that used swords and an increase in the number of jewels that used pistols and the problem with swords is that the mortality rate is pretty high <laughs> and also if you are experienced in sword fighting you are pretty much going to defeat an opponent who does not know how to use a sword properly one of those sort of men that wanders around town with a sword in their waistband but doesn't really know how to use it so there is a shift over time um, and so much so that when you look at the uh, number of people who died by swords, you see that about a fifth of 105 participants in sampled sword duels were killed and another quarter were, were wounded. So roughly 51% escaped without significant injury. But you're talking about 50%, almost half, who had mortal wounds, in other words, died or left with sort of really bad sort of, you know, disfiguring wounds. The switch to pistols basically improved your chances of survival quite greatly. And he estimates that only 6.5% of 214 participants in pistol duels were killed and about 71% escaped without injury. Now, this got me to thinking, right, we know the detail about this. We know about the we know about the term pinking. We know about the ter we know about the struggle of people fighting. But what I wanted was an actual example of a duel that went horrifically wrong. So what does being pinked actually look like? And I came across an example, wonderful example, wonderful in the sort of in the sense that it is almost theatrical, but also unwonderful. Can we use the phrase unwonderful? <laughs> not yes. wonderful in the sense no, that it is really... And our next podcast is going to be on unwonderful. Really, really, it's really, really bloody. Uh, both men end up killed, uh, dying at the end of it. So there are two individuals. This comes from 1712. Two members of the Houses of Parliament, Duke of Hamilton and Lord Mohan. And the two of them are enemies. They have a legal case against each other. There are words spoken that challenges one person's honour. A duel is issued and the two of them turn up 
two days later, 7am in Hyde Park, accompanied by their assistants who've been appointed to come along and help them out. And then they pick up their swords and start fighting. And what happens is one of them dies on the spot. The other dies while he is being carried away by his servants. And we have here a case that appears in the Old Bailey Proceedings Online, uh, which is the trial of John Hamilton, December 1712. And I'll just read you a little extract of it here. John Hamilton, Esquire of the Parish of St Martin in the Fields, was indicted for the murder of Charles Lord Mohan, Baron of Oakhampton, on the 15th of November last by comforting, aiding, abetting and assisting the most noble James Duke of Hamilton and Brandon and George McCartney Esquire in giving the said Lord Mohan a mortal wound in and upon the right side of his body near the short ribs of the breadth of one inch and the depth of 15 inches, of which he died instantly. He was also indicted upon the coroner's inquisition of for the same murder. And then we have a deposition of one Henry Amy, a surgeon. And this is where you get the sort of sense of what, quite what pinked means. A surgeon deposed that he found Duke Hamilton had received a wound by a push. In other words, a sort of lunge forward with a sword, which had, uh, so I quote, cut the artery and small tendon of his right arm. Another in his right leg, eight inches long. Now, eight inches long is pretty, it's pretty long for a uh, gash in you, which he supposed to be by a slash. In other words, rather than a lunge, a sort of slash. You can imagine the sort of viciousness with it. It being very large. Another small one in his left leg near the instep and a a fourth on his left side between the second and third rib, which ran down into his body most forwards, having pierced the skirt of his midriff and gone through his coat, which wound could not be given but by a thrust coming from an arm that reached over or was above him. He further deposed that he also viewed the Lord Mohan's body and found that he had a wound between his short ribs quite through his belly, another about three inches in the upper part of his thigh, a large wound about four inches wide in his groin, and another small wound on his left side, and that the fingers of the left hand were cut. So there we are, Sam. There you have it. For me, the unexpected history of the colour pink is in fact all about the history of the jewel in the 18th century. It's all about somebody being mm. pinked, stabbed Amazing and bleeding stuff. out. Bit of blood, bit of a, a pink blood to get you thinking there. Um, uh, pretty, it is. It's pretty gory, isn't it? not pink, though. It's red, isn't it? But in, in if you see it often on white clothing um, and it's washed out a bit, it does become pink. It's interesting that it was called pinked, not redded, is my point. Uh, and it made me think about yes. white clothes. Yes. Um, and that is assuming that it's actually to do with the colour pink. Which it may not be. Yes. Yes, thinking about the Ice Cube track, which is now mm. I've got to wet you. Which is about, uh, it, it starts, there's a little bit where it starts at the beginning saying, going up to somebody and saying that he's won a wet t-shirt competition the person doesn't know what he means, and then he shoots him in the stomach. He very quickly realises what a what being wet is. It's basically mm. bleeding out into your into your t-shirt. Gosh, well that's horrendous. It is quite horrendous. Quite horrendous. Yeah. Um, I'm going to talk a bit. Starting 
going to talk about pink, but I'm going to start yes. by talking about red. Same same kind um, of principle here. Um, and it'll become very clear why. Um, and not just any sort of red, but the kind of red you get in China. So uh, for many of the early Chinese dynasties, the Shang, uh, Tang, the Zhou and the Qin as well, um, they had something called the theory of the five elements, which helped them select colours and choose colours for certain things. Red was very important. It was associated with south. It was associated with a creature called the vermilion bird um, and various other other things. It was to do with hot. It was to do with uh, summer, blooming, masculinity, good fortune, joy. Um, the list is actually surprisingly long. Um, but if you go to China now... There's still red everywhere. It's the it's the colour that's been taken up by the uh, the, the Communist Party. Um, you get it on a hundred RMB notes. Um, it's all to do with the colours associated with Chinese New Year. You can't really spend much time in China without appreciating how important red is. So now we've established red is important in China. This is where we go to how it turns into pink. Um, I've just come back from filming, and one of the things we were doing is exploring. Um, this is for a series called Ancient China from Above, which will be on Disney+. Plus. Oh, I exploring should watch the, that. Exploring the claims that the Qin Emperor's tomb, this is the amazing 2,000-year-old tomb with the terracotta warriors, um, just outside of Xi'an, um, whether that had heavenly constellations painted on the ceiling. We don't know. We, we know where his tomb is, but we it hasn't been excavated. It's not going to be excavated. It's too precious. Um so the only way you can really work out whether the historical claims written after his death um, that he had these heavenly constellations on the ceiling was to go and, and find some similar tombs and nearby in Xi'an, it's really not very far away, and only a, well, maybe a century or so after the Qin Emperor was buried, there is a, a new tomb has been found, a Han Dynasty tomb, and it's amazing. It's underneath the playground of a school, so we got to go to this place. They discovered it when they were building the foundations for this campus. Uh, and they've now kept it open with all of these tunnels. And if you go into it, you go down these tunnels, surprisingly long and windy. And at the end of it, you get to this dark space with a curved roof, um, brick walls, and the entire thing is painted. Uh, it's the most extraordinary thing I've ever seen in my life. It's a 2,000-year-old tomb, and it's in the most wonderful um, condition. Um what they've done is they've painted constellations all over the ceilings and the walls um, and a variety of different creatures. They're dragons, birds, uh, white tigers, tortoises, all to do with um, ancient Chinese cosmology. But one of the most interesting things about it is that the uh, a lot of it is pink. Now, it's pink because of the time that has passed and it used to be red. But now it's a very soft, powdery pink, which I thought was fascinating. And it made me really kind of appreciate and like the idea that colours have their own history. So in this respect, what was a red uh, has become a pink. So what now is pink has a history of being red. And I love the idea of history itself, the, the passing of time messing with colours and that colours themselves can change and that as a historian you have to be as careful when you're dealing with colours as you do with any source. You've got to be quite mistrustful. You can't necessarily believe what you're looking at. So for me, uh, this history of pink's all about the passing of time, not trusting your historical sources, however amazing they are. It's about the history of fading, isn't it? Mm. Faded colour. 
I found yeah. this looking at gloves. It was very difficult to sort of recreate the actual colour of gloves because over four or five hundred years they've of course faded and become worn and so it's very difficult to recreate that sort of what they were like their sort of vibrancy glossiness of when they were actually first worn but for me I'm going to take the history of pink in a completely different direction and I'm staying with this sort of macabre sort of underbelly of history we're going to go from the history of the duel to the history of the persecution of homosexuals by the Nazis during the second world war and the connection here is the pink triangle and the pink triangle was worn by homosexuals on their uniforms in the concentration camps. Uh, it's a symbol that in the 1970s was reclaimed by gay rights activists. So something that was sort of very, very positive um, and reclaiming that sort of uh, that awful uh, symbol for something that was sort of positive and radical. But actually, if you look at the history of the concentration camps, it wasn't always the pink triangle that was worn to denote gay men in the concentration camps. At first, it was the green triangle, uh, which was used as a symbol for criminals. It was also the red triangle, which was political prisoners. They also had the letter A uh, to denote um homosexuality uh, and also the number 175 which referred to a law in the journal penal code a paragraph 175 which criminalized homosexual activity um, so it wasn't until later that the pink triangle was actually assigned to uh, gay men during this period and it's really interesting because you can frame the whole discussion of pink in terms of the nazis attitudes towards homosexuality and there were various sort of moves to try and stamp it out to sterilize people imprison them castrate deport them to concentration camps and what they undid was a quite a sort of liberal agenda in germany prior to their rise to power which was trying to liberalize and allow people to live and socialize quite openly so there was a degree of tolerance that was then uh, completely changed and it wasn't until the late 60s that those laws were repealed so what you have is people coming out of the concentration camps and then going into other prison camps because they were still being persecuted for something that was uh, seen as illegal and one of the problems with actually reconstructing a history of homosexuality during the Third Reich period is that for a long time it was hidden. It was because it was still that kind of behaviour was still outlawed, still seen as illegal, people didn't speak up. And so for a long time there wasn't a historical attempt to try and unpack that history. And it's not until the very late 60s, 1960s, when it becomes legal to be uh, gay uh, when it's re when that when uh, gay lifestyle is recognized as legal that we actually find um, path-breaking works coming out and there's a series of films and publications but the one that I want to talk about in particular uh, came out in 1972 uh, and it came out with a Hamburg publisher and it was entitled Die Mana mit dem Rosa Winkel 
which was The Men with the Pink Triangle. And it was translated in English in 1980. And it was quite a revolutionary work. And what it did was it brought to light for the first time the treatment of homosexual men in the concentration camps. And it was written by uh, a man called Heinz Heger, which was a pseudonym used by uh, Joseph Kahoot. And it's an incredible read. I'm not going to go into it in too much detail because I think the best way to learn about it is actually to get hold of a copy. It's available on Amazon. Uh, get hold of a copy and, and have a read of it. But what is extraordinary is the just the violence um, and the intolerance and the persecution of people in these concentration camps. Kahoot basically grew up in uh, a Catholic family in, in Austria. He became uh, infatuated, fell in love with a member of uh, the, the Nazi party, his son, uh, a man called Fred. Uh, and because of documents that had passed between the two of them, he was blackmailed and he was sentenced to six months in prison. He then um, was not released, but was sent off to a concentration camp north of Berlin in January 1940, the Gestapo decided to deport him. And his account um, relays his experiences from this time and also after the demise of the Nazi party. So in the years after uh, the defeat of the Nazis uh, in the, the Germany in that period afterwards. And the experiences that he had paint a picture of brutal, lab brutal labour uh, systematic violence, uh, gay men being forced to wear the pink triangle, um, attempts to try and cure them by compulsory, and I'm quoting here, compulsory regular visits to a local brothel uh, where they were, they were, you know, let loose on it. And so absolutely terrible, um, gruesome um, execution of, of gay prisoners during this period. So there you have it, Sam, a rather abhorrent, violent, inhumane, unexpected history of the colour pink, which unfortunately is all about the persecution of homosexuals in concentration camps in Nazi Germany. Mm. Right, it's fascinating stuff. I think uh, we should do a little series collating our history of colours, because we've done a variety of them, haven't we, James? We have. I can't remember what other ones we've done. Ooh. What have we done? green we've done blue we've done red i think yeah there's uh we should do black and white that would be interesting yes. uh but that's for now that's it that's our history of pink i hope you've enjoyed it i very much enjoyed it it was one i really enjoyed researching and we're going to come back soon i think um oh, let's do the history of liars james that sounds like an absolute cracker brilliant good stuff um you can follow me at dr sam willis and if you're interested in maritime and naval history please listen to the mariners mirror podcast and you can follow me on twitter at james daybell you can follow the podcast at unexpected pod we're on twitter we are also on facebook and instagram so you can follow us there and we are popping films of ourselves onto instagram now so you should go and check out what we look like and what it's like <laughs> to be in the recording studio whoop, whoop. We also yes. have an all-singing, all-dancing website, historiesoftheunexpected.com, so go and check out our back catalogue, uh, blog entries, all sorts of things, signed books there. Uh, we have a Patreon page, so anything you can do to help change the way in which we think about the past, much gratefully received. Uh, but meanwhile, take care of yourselves. <laughs> See you soon, guys. Bye-bye. Bye, guys.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.